I'm standing on the corner of Birch and Broadway streets here in Owasso, and I'm standing here for a reason. Because in this very spot some 112 years ago, something pretty incredible happened. Some people who lived in this community realized that there was a great need, that people were living far away from God. And so they decided to have worship services here. From those worship services, a revival broke out and soon a church was born. That church still exists today. We call it First Church. And since 1907, First Church has been working to change lives throughout Northeast Oklahoma and across the globe. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have come to know the love of Jesus because of our church's ministry and work. And it all happened because 112 years ago, some believers saw a need and they seized an opportunity. They believed Jesus' words in John 20, that as the Father has sent me, I am sending you, that that was meant for them. And so they decided to take advantage of the chance that they had to tell everybody they could about Jesus. The question is, those words of Jesus, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you, do we believe those words are for us today? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus' first followers, they knew those words were for them. And they took his name all throughout the world. 112 years ago, the Christians who met in this very spot, they believed those words were for them. And they took the gospel all throughout Northeast Oklahoma. Do we believe today that those words are for us? Because they are. I believe God is waiting for us to do something great. We just need to open ourselves up to Him. First Church, we are here for a reason. And just as God worked in the past in great ways, I believe He wants to work in our generation today through our church. I think God is whispering in our ears today, let's do it again, let's do it again. Throughout the history of the church, God has used his people in incredible ways. And I believe God is looking at our generation and he's saying, I can do it again. I want to do it again. Let's do it again. In John chapter 20, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now those words are recorded right after Jesus' resurrection. After he came back from the dead, defeated sin, defeated the curse, he appeared to his disciples, his followers, and he said, as my father sent me into the world, I'm now going to send you into the world. In other words, just as my father sent me to unleash his love on the world, I'm now sending you to unleash my father's love on the world. Just as my father sent me to serve the world, I'm sending you to serve the world. Just as my father sent me to change lives, I'm now sending you to change lives with my message, with my word. As the Father has sent me to rescue the world, now you get to carry on my rescue mission as my church. Now Jesus said those words after the resurrection, but it wasn't the first time he said something like that. In fact, when you study the life and the ministry of Jesus, during the three years that he was with his disciples, he said stuff like that over and over and over again. But the first time Jesus had ever said something close to that actually came at the very beginning of his ministry when he called his very first disciples. You see, Jesus started his ministry by a lake known as the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was preaching and teaching near this lake and one day he encountered some fishermen. You've heard of some of them before. Three of those fishermen were named Peter, James, and John. And he encountered them during a rough 
of, I guess, a rough part of their day because they had been fishing all night long and they hadn't caught a thing. Now, these were professional fishermen. This is how they made their living. They knew how to catch fish, and yet they had had no luck whatsoever. And so when Jesus comes across them after they've been fishing all night, it's the early morning hours, and they haven't caught a thing. And Jesus calls out to them and says, hey, how's the fishing going? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I love to fish. And this is a hobby that I've kind of really fallen in love with since I've moved to Oklahoma. I have fished off and on throughout my life, but never on a regular basis. But since I've lived here in Oklahoma for just over a year and a half, I fish all the time. And one of the reasons for that is because there is a pond right behind my house. And so when I moved here and that pond was there and I'm paying HOA fees to use it, I decided I'm going to use it. And so I went and got me a new uh, rod and reel and got some equipment, got something for Alex too, and we go fishing all the time. Sometimes Allison and Addie will join us, and we have a blast. And I remember when I went fishing uh, the first few times, I didn't catch a whole lot. It's a relatively new pond, and there's not a lot of big fish in it, just small fish. But we were catching stuff every time we went. But about the third or fourth time that we went fishing, I caught a pretty good-sized bass. Now, for some of your standards, or by some of your standards, this may not be a very big catch, but for me, it was big. I got a picture of it if you want to look up on the screen. I don't know if it's about a pound or what, but it was a good-sized fish, for me at least. I was excited, and Alex was excited, Mr. Cool Dude in his shades there. You know, he was excited as well, and so we went out the very next day. We had even more confidence, and Alex was just like, hey, I want to catch a big fish too, and sure enough, he did. That next day, this is what he caught. Took, take a look at his catch, and it wasn't as big as mine, not that we're keeping score, but it wasn't as big as mine, but still, it was a pretty good catch for him. So he was pumped. So we came back in. We show Allison these pictures. We're all excited. And she said, well, I want to catch something. So we waited a few days, but we went again. And the next time that we went, Allison went fishing this time. And she caught something as well. This is what she caught. Take a look. I don't know if you can see it, but there is a fish there, I promise. She is holding a fish, and that was not only her biggest catch, that was her only catch of the day, but she was excited because she doesn't regularly go fishing. She was just excited that she caught something. Now, Allison is an amateur uh, fisherman. I am too. Fisherwoman, I guess. Maybe that's the proper term. I'm not sure. But she's an amateur. I am too. But these guys who Jesus met near the Sea of Galilee, they were professionals. They did this for a living. They knew strategy. They knew how to catch fish. And yet, they hadn't caught a thing. So you can imagine, they're probably frustrated. And so when Jesus asked them, hey, you guys caught anything? They're like, no, trying all night long, haven't caught anything. And then Jesus turns them and says, well, how about if you go out to the deeper waters? Throw your nets out there. I bet you'll catch something out there. And I imagine in that moment, you could probably hear groaning and moaning because remember these are professionals Jesus is a rabbi they know that Jesus has been teaching around the Sea of Galilee for some time in fact at one moment uh, at one time he even used Peter's boat to preach from he stood in Peter's boat and he preached and everybody listened so these men they knew who Jesus was maybe they didn't realize he was the Messiah sent from God but he was a profound teacher he was a respected rabbi and these men they respected him as a rabbi but again he's a rabbi not a fisherman they're fishermen they know how to do that Jesus you just stick to teaching from scripture we're going to stick to doing the fishing but because they respected him so much 
Peter says to Jesus, if you want to follow along, in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, he says, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, because we respect you, Jesus, I will let down the nets. So they do. They follow Jesus' instructions. They let down the nets into the deeper waters. And the Bible says they catch such a large amount of fish that their nets began to break. Their boat was in danger of sinking. That's how many fish they caught. They had to call for another fishing boat to come over and help them bring in all the fish that they caught. And Peter, James, and John, these men who fished every single day, who had seen just about everything, were utterly amazed and shocked. And when they get back to Jesus, Peter is so amazed, so awestruck, that he falls down before Jesus' feet, bows down before him, and he says, you need to get away from me because I'm a sinful man and I don't need to be near somebody like you. What's Peter just realized? Jesus isn't your average run-the-mill rabbi. He's sent directly from God. Again, Peter may not be processing yet that Jesus is the Messiah, but he knows Jesus is a prophet. He's somebody who has been sent from God. And Peter says, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And I love how Jesus responds to Peter. He says in verse 10, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. What's Jesus doing here? Don't be afraid of me. Don't run from me. You are welcome in my presence, and not only are you welcome in my presence, I want you to be part of my plan. I want you to carry out my mission. I want you to partner with me in rescuing the world. You're going to have a new purpose, and that purpose is not to fish for fish. You're going to fish for people. And when Matthew tells us about this moment in his gospel, he says in Matthew 4, 19, that Jesus said to these men, come, follow me, and I will send you out. Does that sound familiar? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Translation, everything's getting ready to change for you if you accept this mission that I'm giving you. From now on, you're going to fish for people, meaning you're going to love people like they've never been loved before. And you're going to love people like you've never loved people before. And I'm going to show you how to do it. I want to send you out to literally change the world. And I get why Jesus used fishing imagery to explain his mission. Because one thing or a couple things that I've learned when it comes to fishing, I think are relevant to our spiritual lives and the mission that Jesus has given us. I've learned a couple things. Again, I'm not a pro professional. There are a lot of other tips that some professionals could give you. But there's a couple things I have learned about fishing that I think apply to our spiritual lives. And the first thing that I've learned is you have to go where the fish are. I mean, I could put a, a, a line into that baptistry over there, but I'm not going to catch any fish, right? Because no fish live in that baptistry. And when you're on a body of water, you've got to go to where the fish are. I'll never forget going out fishing one time back when I lived in Kentucky with one of my elders at the church there. 
he was a semi-professional fisherman. I mean, he went all the time. He had all the fancy and expensive equipment, a really nice boat, a boat that cost more than my house, I think. I mean, but he went all the time. His son-in-law was actually the fishing coach of a major college, and he was on ESPN all the time for fishing stuff. So these, this was a fishing family, you have to understand. And I remember I went out with him one time, and I thought, man, he's really going to teach me something. You know, I was excited. And we went out on this lake, and while we're out there, he turns on this screen. He had like a computer monitor a screen and it was radar to look for fish and so he saw a group of fish and he took his boat to where they were and he dropped his line in there and started fishing and I looked at him and I said that's cheating what are you doing you know I thought you were this professional that had you know all this expertise that's how you look for fish and he was just like Chad you got to get to the fish however you can and I thought that was interesting. It's a good point. You know what? He caught a lot of fish that day because he knew where they were. Now, I remember going out fishing one time with this old guy who was really nice and sweet, and he invited me to go out fishing with him on this river, and he didn't need radar. I remember he would just stand up in the boat, and he would look out and say, I can tell there's fish right over there. I'm like, how can you tell that? I had no idea. But we went over there, and sure enough, we caught a bunch of fish. You got to know where the fish are. And I think that's true for us as well. See, there was a day in our culture where people would just come to church. They would wake up one morning and say, you know, I'm missing something, and I know what the church offers, and I need to get back in church, and I'm just going to come. That's not how it works in our culture anymore. We actually have to go fishing. We actually have to go to where the fish are. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. In other words, we have to meet people where they are. We have to offer people the gospel in a way that they're going to want to hear it. The gospel doesn't change, but the way we present it might because we have to meet people in our culture where they are because it's our job to reach those who are far from God. But the second thing that I've learned about fishing is this, to be successful at fishing, you have to be able to get the fish out of the water. Now, I know that sounds simplistic, but it's true. I remember going fishing with Alex one time, and he's really competitive. I don't know where he gets that from, but he always wants to beat me when we go fishing. And so he keeps track of how many fish we have. And so one day I was kind of keeping track too, and we were neck and neck. I'd catch one, he'd catch one. I'd catch one, he'd catch one. We were back and forth. And we got done after fishing for about an hour. It's time for us to go back in, and we had both caught 10 fish apiece. And I thought, well, this is perfect. He won't get mad that I caught more, and we're tied. It'll be perfect. So I looked at him and said, okay, buddy, we both got 10 apiece. Let's go back inside. And he looked at me, and he said, no, we're not tied. I had 11. And I was like, no, you didn't. I've been watching. You had 10. He said, no, I, I got 11. I was like, where'd you get that extra one? Because I only count 10. He said, well, there was one you didn't know about. I said, when did that happen? I didn't see you pull one out. Well, I didn't actually pull it out, but I caught it. I hooked it. And as I was reeling him in, he got off. But still, I caught that one. And I'm like, buddy, if you were fishing to survive, like if you had to eat those fish in order to survive, you can't eat an invisible fish. You know, if it got off your line, guess what? You didn't catch that fish. If you're in a fishing tournament or competition, they're not going to count one that you didn't pull in, right? That's not how it works. You got to be able to get the fish out of the water. And the thing is, we're not going to walk along the side of a pond or a lake and fish just jump out at us. We've got to be able to get them out. Now, we don't fish for people. The same reasons why people, you know, fish for fish. We fish for people for a much different reason. Not to provide nourishment for food or not for competition. We fish because people are swimming in dangerous, toxic, poisonous waters and they don't even realize it. And we got to get them out in order to save them. 
we got to rescue them. Sometimes they don't even realize how dangerous the waters they're swimming in are. At the last church I served, we had vacation Bible school every summer, and there was one summer that we had like a seaside theme, and so we, the staff had this great idea. We were going to set up this above-ground pool, huge above-ground pool in our back patio. We were going to stock it full of fish, and then throughout the night, each night, the kids could come and fish, and if they caught one, they'd get a prize or something. And so instead of buying fish, because that was a lot of money, we had a farmer in our church had a bunch of ponds. He said, just come out and fish, catch some, bring them, and then you can throw them back in when you're done with the week. And so we thought that was a great idea, especially because we got to take like two or three days as a staff and just go fishing. You know, that was fun to catch, and it was all part of the job, you know. So uh, we caught all these fish. We put them in this huge above-ground pool. It's a great plan until somebody walked up to us and said, hey, did you guys treat that water? They treat the water? What do you mean? We just put, you know, like water hose water in there. What do you mean treat the water? He's like, oh, no, there's chemicals in that water, and if you don't treat it, It'll kill the fish. We're like, we can't have a bunch of dead fish. You know, that'd be horrible for the kids come on the first night of EBS. I've got all these dead fish. So, plus the poor fish, you know. So, we, we decided we needed to treat the water, but we had to get the fish out in order to treat the water. So, our staff, we're diving in there with nets and all sorts of stuff, trying to catch these fish. We didn't want to catch them one by one. That would take too long, and time was of the essence. So, we're in the water with these nets, trying to catch the fish, trying to scoop them out. And let me tell you something. Those fish... They didn't want to be caught. Now, we were trying to save their lives, but they didn't know that. You know, we're chasing them, and they're trying to swim away. They were swimming freely. They had no idea that we were trying to save them. They had no idea that they were swimming in poisonous, toxic waters that would eventually kill them. And the same is true for so many people that we encounter on a daily basis. The people we work with, our neighbors down the street, the parents on our kids' ball team, family members, friends. We all know people who are swimming in dangerous waters and they may not even realize, may not even realize it. They don't realize how dangerous the waters of addictions really are. They don't realize how dangerous the waters of pornography really are. They don't realize how dangerous the waters of greed and selfishness really are. They don't realize how dangerous the waters of isolation and pride really are. And they're swimming around freely thinking everything's fine until it's not. And that's why we're here as the church, to rescue them. When Jesus says, I want you to fish for people, what he's saying is, I want you to pull people out of the dangerous, toxic, poisonous waters they're currently swimming in. And how do you do that? By loving people like they've never been loved, and by loving people like you've never loved people before. And when Jesus offers this invitation to those disciples, Peter, James, and John, Matthew 4, verse 20, tells us how they responded. It says, at once they left their nets and followed him. At once, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Why? It's if they didn't even hesitate. It's because they knew what Jesus was saying was true. They knew just how desperate the world they lived in was. They knew how empty people's lives were. They knew what sin had done to the world. And this guy, Jesus, seems to have an answer for all that. And they're ready to be a part of what he's going to do. So much so, this verse says they left their nets behind. That was costly. They left their jobs, their occupations behind but they knew what Jesus was asking them to do was worth the cost. And you see, anytime God wants to do something new in us, 
it will require something different from us. And so for the next three years, that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to teach them how to live differently. He's going to teach them how to love. And by loving as he has loved, they will change the world. And throughout his ministry, what he teaches us can basically be summed up from what he taught in John 13, 34. A new command I give you. In other words, a new way of life here I'm going to give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And over the course of the next three years, as we fast forward through his ministry, that's what Jesus does. He shows them how to love. He spends time with those who are unloved, with the untouchables of society, with those who live on the margins of the culture. He spent time with those that no one else wanted to spend time with. And then he even spent time with the influential and powerful, but who were living empty, meaningless lives. He spent time with people, people who didn't deserve his attention, people who didn't deserve his love, people who didn't deserve his grace, and yet he spent time with them anyway. They couldn't pay him back. They couldn't give him anything for what he was offering them, but he served them and lifted them up, and the disciples had a front row seat to seeing what God's love really looks like. So they watched this for three years as we fast forward through Jesus' teaching and preaching ministry. And then Jesus goes to the cross, dies for the sins of the world, And it's the ultimate sign of God's love by sacrificing himself. And then three days pass. Jesus rises from the dead and he appears to his disciples and he says to them what he basically told them three years before at the very beginning. He says to them, John 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He's reminding them of their purpose He's reminding them of their mission. You're here to do something. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you to impact the world. You are to keep my rescue mission going. So Jesus appears to the disciples. He reminds them of their calling, reminds them of their mission. And then he goes for about a week. And he doesn't appear to them after the resurrection again. He goes for about a week and no more appearances from Jesus. So what do the disciples decide to do? They decide to go fishing, not fishing for people, not fishing just as a hobby. They went back to being professional fishermen. They went back to the same lake, the Sea of Galilee, where they were fishing before they met Jesus, got back in their professional fishing boats, grabbed their professional fishing nets, and went fishing again. And I think they did this because they didn't know what else to do. For the past three years, they had spent time by Jesus' side watching him do all this miraculous stuff, watching him do all these incredible things. And now Jesus isn't with them anymore, and they're thinking, well, maybe that day has passed. Yeah, now Jesus is going to do something else, but maybe he's done with us. Maybe we've seen all the incredible stuff we're going to see. So now it's time to go back to what we knew before we met Jesus. Yeah, Jesus defeated death, and there's forgiveness of sins and all that, and that's great. But maybe when it comes to using us, he's done with us we'll just go back to doing what we did before we met him and as they're out fishing on the sea of galilee guess who shows up jesus and jesus yells out to the disciples hey you guys caught anything and sure enough interestingly enough they've been fishing for hours and they hadn't caught a thing sound familiar so they call out to jesus and they say nope Haven't caught anything. 
John 21, verse 6, Jesus says to the disciples, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And what happens next is a taste of deja vu. Verse 6 goes on to say, when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. He did it again. What he's telling them is, yes, times have changed. Yes, things are different. But the mission is still the same. My plan is still the same. And you are still part of that plan. He takes them back to the moment when he first called them. He takes them back to the moment when he did that first miracle before their eyes. And he says, let's keep going. And when they pull in this huge amount of fish, they know it's Jesus. And so they go to the shore to meet him, and they have breakfast with him, and they're so excited to see him. And Jesus has a side conversation with Peter. And as he has this side conversation with Peter, he asks Peter three different times, John 21, 17, do you love me? Now, if you haven't read this story before, why Jesus asked him three different times, do you love me, is because Peter had denied Jesus three different times. So what Jesus here is doing is he is restoring Peter. What he's saying is my forgiveness is greater than your failure. And don't we all need to hear that sometimes? Because sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, God, we know you want to do great stuff, but you can't use somebody like me. I've messed up time and time again. I've blown it time and time again. I've disappointed you time and time again. I've rebelled against you time and time again. And Jesus says, do you still love me? Because if you do, I can still use you. And that's why Jesus responds to Peter every time when he says, do you love me? Verse 17, then feed my sheep. In other words, Don't go back to your old way of life. Don't settle for the cookie-cutter existence that this world is offering you. Go impact the world with my love. And I think sometimes as a church, we need to hear that too because I'm just gonna be transparent with you. I try to always be transparent with you, but I'm gonna have a moment of real transparency here. Our church isn't perfect. I know that shocks you. (laughs) You know why we're not perfect? Because we're made up of people and people aren't perfect. And I'm okay with that. Because there was only one perfect man who ever lived. But here's the thing. Because our church isn't perfect, throughout our history, we've messed up. We've done some things probably God didn't want us to do. We've made some decisions that we should have prayed more about. In our 100 and some odd years, we've messed up because we're people. But here's the thing. The question is, do we still love him today? And if we do, God's forgiveness is greater than our failure. God still has a plan for this church. I think he's got greater things in store for this church than what he's ever done in the past. And he's telling us, feed my sheep. There's still work to be done. Just as Jesus called those men 2,000 years ago to be fishers of men, he's calling us today to do the same. First church, we are here for a reason. Our culture is getting further and further away from the God who loves them. And time is of the essence. We cannot sit on our hands any longer. God has placed this church here to rescue lives. And I believe it's time that we remember 
as God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus is now sending us. Our moment is now. Our moment is today. And just as God did incredible things 2,000 years ago through the first believers, the first followers of his son, and just as God did incredible things to those believers who met 112 years ago on the corner of Birch and Broadway streets, I believe God wants to work in and through us today. I think God is looking at our church today and saying, let's do it again. And starting next week, next Sunday, as we launch our fall series, we have an incredible opportunity to let God work in us in a way that impacts our community in an awesome, awesome way. For the past two weeks, we've been emphasizing this new series that's coming next week. We're calling it You're Invited, and it's a party theme. Because we believe the church was never meant to be something that was dull and stagnant and boring. We believe that the church is a community where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have reason to celebrate. Even on our worst day, we have reason for joy. We have reason to celebrate because of the resurrection of Jesus. And I believe we are here to let the world know that there is reason to have joy, there is reason to celebrate, there is hope. You can find peace in the midst of a chaotic world and it's found in Jesus. And I believe we're here to invite everyone around us to the party that God is throwing. And so, over the next five weeks, we're letting our community know we're throwing a party here. Now we throw a party here every week, but we're doing something special to let our community know that it's a party here, a party that's all about the resurrection of Jesus. And so every single week over the next five weeks, we're going to have a party theme. And we've been talking about this, but we want you to invite people to come to these special weeks. And so starting August 25th, we're going to have a tailgate Sunday. I know your host has probably already talked to you about that today, but we're going to have a tailgate Sunday. And what we want you to do is we want you to wear your team gear on that Sunday. I will be wearing something that says Kentucky on it, I promise you. But we want you to wear your favorite team gear as we kick off football season. And everybody always tells me that our church is pretty divided when it comes to OU and OSU fans. Let's see if that's true. I want to look at and see how much orange is out there and how much crimson is out there, okay? So let's see if we really are divided. Or maybe there's more of one or the other. If you're a Tulsa fan or you're a Kansas fan or whatever um, wear your team colors next Sunday and what we're going to do is we're going to have the theme after further review which is something you hear the referee saying during a football game and we're going to look at what a lot of people think the church is but after further review after seeing how Jesus defines the church what it's really supposed to be it's going to be a great message for those who maybe have been turned off from the church. Invite people to come next Sunday. And let me tell you something. I'm excited because I've heard about some of the stuff that team who's planning our tailgate Sunday that they've been working on. It's going to be fun here next week. So make sure you're here. So term the first, we're going to have our Labor Day cookout. It's Labor Day weekend. I know that's a time when a lot of people skip church. Don't do it. Make First Church part of your Labor Day weekend experience. We're going to have a cookout. We're going to grill out food. Invite your friends and neighbors who aren't going out of town for Labor Day. Invite them to come. We're going to have games and a competition and we may, have, we may even have some prizes be here for our Labor Day cookout we're going to have a cookout here at North Granada also out at Stone Canyon just like we're doing the tailgating at both campuses. September the 8th we're going to have Disneyland Day and the reason why we're calling it Disneyland Day is because Disneyland is a, is a place where adults and kids can come together and enjoy one another and we're going to emphasize that we're an intergenerational church a place for all ages so be here on Disneyland Day, it's going to be a lot of fun 
September the 15th is going to be our car show. And we're going to have antique and classic cars set up on our property here in North Carolina as well as out at Stone Canyon. And you can come and see those cars. All of our kids are going to get little matchbox cars as a prize. And we're going to talk about how we're supposed to take the gospel on the road. Fun day. And then finally on September the 22nd, we're going to have our first church carnival. And that's going to be our big blowout. We want this day to be as big as Easter or Christmas is. We want you to invite, invite, invite. So invite people to all those days, but invite them back. Especially invite them to our first church carnival. Because we're going to have carnival rides and food and games. And it's all going to be sponsored by our church. Because we want our community to know that there is a people here who love them. And there is a God who loves them as well. That's why we're doing this. We're not doing this just to pump up numbers or anything like that. We're doing this to let the 918 know that there is a community of believers here, a family of believers here who loves them. And there's a God who loves them as well. And something else that's going to happen on September the 22nd, for those of you guys who are new, we are one church that meets in multiple locations. We have a campus out at Stone Canyon, meets at the Stone Canyon School. This campus has been there for several years. And recently, their leadership has got together, and they have come to the conclusion that they want to do more than what they've been doing. God has done some incredible things out at Stone Canyon. By the way, hi, guys. They're watching right now. So hi, Stone Canyon. But God has done some incredible things uh, out at Stone Canyon but we believe that he can do even more. So they want to take their ministry there to the next level. And on September 22nd, they're going to do a campus relaunch. And we've hired a new campus minister out there. His name is C.J. Epperson. If you haven't met him, try to meet him. He, I'm just going to be honest with you. He's one of my best friends in the world. Love C.J. to death. And I love him because he loves Jesus and he loves people. And he has a great vision and some excitement for Stone Canyon. And we're excited about what is going to take place out there as they relaunch their campus. So they're going to have their relaunch day. They're going to celebrate out there on the 22nd. And then they're going to come over here for our first church carnival. All the other days, they're going to have their own stuff going on at Stone Canyon. But they're going to come join us for the carnival here, and we're going to be one church that celebrates and parties together in the name of Jesus. It's going to be awesome. God is doing some great things in our church, but he's doing all this so that we can reach those who are far from him, so that we can invite everyone to the party that is the resurrection of Jesus. In Luke 14, 13, Jesus says, when you give a party, invite the poor people the cripple, the lame, and the blind. In other words, invite those on the outside. That's what we're doing here over the next few weeks. We're throwing a party and everyone's invited. And some people may look at what we're doing and laugh at it, think it's a waste of resources. They may even think it's just a gimmick. But I think we're just following the commands of Jesus when he says in Luke 14, 23, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. So that my house, my banquet hall, will be full. Our church is here for a reason. Because God wants us to impact lives throughout Northeast Oklahoma and beyond. He's done it before in incredible ways through the ministry of our church. And I believe he's telling us, let's do it again. Last summer, I had the chance to go with my family 
to the Bartlesville Kitty Park. Anybody been to the Bartlesville Kitty Park before? Okay, we went with a family in our church, had a fun time, didn't know what to expect, and we went and had some fun. But if you've been there, you know they have all these rides, and what you do is you buy these little tickets. I think they're like 50 cents a piece, and one ticket gets you on one ride. And I wasn't sure how many rides Alex would ride. He's kind of a little bit leery of some, so I just bought a few tickets just to see. I didn't want to waste money, buy these tickets, and not get to use them. I'm cheap like that. So I just bought a few tickets, and we rode some of the smaller rides, and they have a roller coaster there, and their roller coaster is known as the Little Fireball, and Alex at first didn't want to ride it, so we rode some of these other rides, I used the tickets, and we got down to where we just had two tickets left, and I said, hey buddy, you want to ride the roller coaster? And he was like, I don't know, I said, let's try it. So we used our last two tickets, and we went on this ride, on this roller coaster. His friend that went with us, um, he went as well, and we rode this roller coaster together. Here's a picture of us on it, and we had an absolute blast on it. It was fun. You can see he's smiling. His buddy's with him. He's smiling. I got my hands in my air because I was scared to death. But anyway, uh, no, not really. It was, it was fine. But so we got off of it. And remember, I'd used my last two tickets, and I looked at Alex, and I said, well, hey, buddy, do you want to ride it again? He said, you're out of tickets, Daddy. I was like, it's okay. I can get more tickets do you want to ride it again? And he looked at me and he said, you can get more tickets? I was like, yeah, I can. And I'll never forget what he said. Let's do it again. So I went and bought some more tickets and we rode that roller coaster again and again and again. And every time that we got off of it, he would say, how many more tickets you got? And I was like, well, I still got a couple more. He would say, let's do it again. Guys, sometimes in the church, we look back at what God has done in the past, maybe in Bible times, maybe in the history of our church or the history of America. We say, man, really, God really did some awesome things back then, back in the past. But you know, we just don't have the resources today. The culture's different. We just don't have the abilities we had back then. It's a different day. Things have changed. We just don't have what it takes to see happen what happened back then. And I think God is looking at us and saying, yeah, you don't, but I do. I have what it takes. If you want to do it again, we can do it again. But the choice is ours. I believe God is looking at us and saying, you may not have all the resources, all the talent, all the ability, all the opportunities you think you need, but I have everything you need. First church, Let's do it again. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today. And I thank you for the opportunity you have given us, the invitation you've given us to be fishers of men. May we not take that responsibility lightly. May we realize that as you sent your son, you are sending us to carry out his rescue mission in this world. Father, so many people are swimming in dangerous, toxic waters today. May we bring them in to your house, to your safety, so that together we can celebrate the life that you give us through the resurrection of Jesus. God, you're throwing a cosmic party, and everyone's invited, but it's our job to deliver the invitations. As a church, we pray that we go and do that. In Jesus' name, amen.